one of the things that happen so often in meetings is being interrupted or being dismissed or actually being to some degree ridiculed or humiliated about one's ideas or contributions. This over time secretes cortisol in our bodies. That person is going to eventually shut down, disengage, not show up, not share ideas. And when this starts to happen over a period of time, the company is actually leaving money on the table. Actual productivity dollars, actual creativity dollars are being left on the table every single day in every single meeting. And I think we need to change the way we do meetings completely and how we behave in the meetings that we require our employees to attend. Welcome to the Best Self-Management Podcast. I'm David Hassel. And I'm Shane Metcalf. Me and David have been working together along with our co-founder, Nazar, and all the amazing other people that are a part of 15.5 for the last seven years. And we are not the same people that we were seven years ago. One of the things we're a big stand for is like, how do we actually embrace the whole person and understand that can we support someone in thriving in their whole life? And if we do, then they're probably going to contribute more at work. Your mission is to attract the best talent, retain your high performers, and maximize everyone's potential. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Best Self-Management Podcast. My name is Shane Metcalf, and it is truly a pleasure to welcome Raj Kumari Nyogi to the show today. Welcome, Raj. Thank you so much, Shane. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So I'm really excited for our listener today because Raj, we've known each other for a couple of years now and I've been following your work and I am just a huge fan of your message and the work that you're doing in the world. And one of the things that really impresses me, so Raj, you're an executive coach, but you have a particular focus with your work. And I would love for you to just share a little bit of, you know, can you give a broad overview of the work that you're doing. Absolutely. So I'm an executive coach, as you mentioned, and I uh, peer through the lenses of epigenetics and neurobiology. And so to kind of give some context about what those very big words are, neurobiology really is um, looking at the nervous system and what triggers us on a day-to-day basis or, or motivates us. And epigenetics is really about... This is, it's a relatively newer science, but in the last 30 years or so, and, and Rachel Yehuda and Moshe Seif are one of my favorite epigeneticists. And Rachel Yehuda is known for her research around finding the FKBP5 gene, which basically says that we carry the traits and tragedies and traumas of our ancestors for over 200 years. She was able to notice that the children of Holocaust survivors were exhibiting um, very similar symptoms of PTSD than those who were actually in the concentration camps. So, and Moshe Seif did some really interesting work as well. And what we come to now know is in this world of epigenetics, when we are in an organization or in an environment that is toxic to some degree for us, it starts to impact the way our gene expression is in our bodies. And so if we have this day-to-day toxicity around us, then we start to show up 
in a more defensive and protected and guarded manner. If we then quit our jobs and, and move to another organization, let's say, that is much more inviting or welcoming, our boss is nicer, uh, listens to our ideas and opinions, um, then our body starts to literally relax and it, uh, that changes the expression of our genetic makeup and we can now show up differently and feel better generally. It's quite some astonishing, astonishing uh, work. Yeah, and, and one of the things that I really love about epigenetics is that it is a revolutionary idea for businesses. And why I think it's revolutionary is that it's actually saying, hey, look, we are not just these professional workers who even if we haven't had a traumatic life, we're still bringing ancestral trauma to the table. And that is influencing how we show up. It influences our leadership style. It influences our creativity. It influences our ability to be in a state of high performance. It's almost like as culture architects, as business designers, we would benefit to start incorporating trauma awareness into how we actually build companies. Absolutely. I think, you know, we start to maybe investigate why is someone showing up as a bully or maybe why is, is someone showing up as a micromanager? Why is, is someone completely disengaged or, or just kind of showing up for a paycheck, for example? These are all incredibly important data points that um, that we need to look at as, as leaders within organizations who are driving business outcomes because they are, in fact, impacting productivity on every level. Um, when people have trauma, and it can be just trauma from childhood experience, it can be trauma from a day-to-day -day experience walking on the street. Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote the book, um, Your Body Keeps Score, defines trauma as anything that's intolerable. So if we look at epigenetics and we kind of scan the globe for a moment, we can find that every single community has experienced some type of hardship or strife in the last seven generations, without a doubt. And that titrates, those mindsets of those ancestors titrate into us. And so now we're walking around with these ideologies, with these mindsets that are driving the way that we are behaving in our personal life and in our professional fields. So I want to dig in a little there because I think some people would think, okay, cool. You can see traces of trauma, of ancestral trauma in current generation DNA. But when you start to get into mindset, I'd love for you to share a little bit more that, you know, I think we like to think that our mindset is our mindset and we're 100% responsible for our mindset. And I think on one level, that is true. And on another you're saying that we're inheriting the mindset from previous generations. And that's a really wild concept with a lot of implications for, for how do we design our companies and how do we manage people as well. So I think this is where feedback becomes such an important element, which is interestingly exactly what you do. And I think what's important here is to understand that even though we might be on the receiving end of mindsets, we are in complete control of how we can shift our mindsets. We are the ones who make choices. And if we want a different, more optimal experience in our life, we can absolutely have that. A simple example is uh, core beliefs. So I can, I can give a hundred stories. There's a, there's a, a young man that I coached many, many years ago. And this, this person was head of product. And when I went in and coached the executive team, 
he was actually labeled as a bully by the executive team. And someone even called him out as a person that I fear the most. And come to find out through the epigenetic coaching, his uh, grandfather's father died when his grandfather was eight years old. And this grandfather then had to, at eight, go out and work to support his four siblings and his mother. The executive that I coached was unrelenting in his work ethic to the detriment of building relationships in the organization. And when we kind of dug in deeper uh, around that core belief, and we started to create a repair. And the repair is basically this. It's allowing the neural pathways in the right hemisphere of the brain, which is where the relationship elements occur, to start to have greater grooves. And as he was able to create this greater relationship with himself in his brain, literally, he was actually able to then start to form better, more cohesive relationships, more collaboration and greater communication with his executive team. And I talk about this example a lot because it's, it's such a, a poignant story. But that is how we start to take that epigenetic uh, elements, those epigenetic elements, and, and begin to change them within organizations. What changes the brain so easily is our language, is, is the words that we use. And how we start to speak with each other, both verbally and non-verbally, is so key in how we create engines of personal transformation. I love that, that phrase that you used earlier uh, when we were um, just kind of talking in the beginning and um, allow these organizations to kind of go down the trajectory that they're actually willing to explore. I'd love to get your thoughts on that. How do we create our companies to become engines of, of personal transformation? Because in a way, it's a it's a bigger responsibility than I think that most businesses have actually wanted to take on because it's saying, hey, our responsibility is to create profit. That's what business is for. That's what capitalism is for, is to generate profit for the shareholders. And I think that in the emerging paradigm of business, actually, it's a larger responsibility. It's saying, yes, we will generate profits, but we will also generate profits in a broader definition of the sense that we will generate profits in the well-being of our people and the long-term positive impact on every person that comes in contact with our company, which is a very different view of how capitalism could work. And so how would you advise in setting up the systems and structures so that you know you don't have to be there coaching every executive team because you're a single person that's going to have a harder time to you know scale all of that? So I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. You know, I think... For me, what I've come to find is that I love working with startups. Startups are really t relatively new, depending upon what's, what stage they're in, and really give an opportunity for the founders, the co-founders, the, the first wave of committed employees to come in and start to really think about what they want to create long-term and the impact they want to have on the planet. One of the epidemics that we are currently experiencing in this country is isolation. Another epidemic that we are currently experiencing in this country is opioids. 
And I think that these are correlated to a huge, huge degree. If you look at one of um, the one of the data points that I share in in my presentations, I talk about how when we secrete endogenous opioids, internal uh, internal opioids, we are doing this because we are being warmly received. We are experiencing respect. We are being invited into um, a circle or a conversation, and when this happens, we create a sense of belonging. Now, this is done both, like I said earlier, verbally and non-verbally. And I think the absolute key in shifting current organizations and building new ones from the ground up is to learn to speak differently, non-verbally and verbally. This is key because the words that we speak generate the feelings that we experience, which create the environment in which we live. And if we want to create a different culture where people are thriving, are engaged, are performing at levels unparalleled, we will get that purpose and profit, that double bottom line that many of us are dedicated and working toward. Wow. So, so language, words, create the feelings, the internal feeling states, which generate the environment that we're a part of. So that's huge. I mean, I think that we'd love to, you know, I think most people don't realize just how powerful language really is. Absolutely. I mean, I could give so many examples. There's this study that was done where um, a group of people actually had to pronounce Latin names of flowers. So they had never, ever seen these words before, and they were asked to pronounce um, these Latin words of flower names. And when they were hooked up to, you know, machines that could actually see their brains light up, different parts of the brain would light up than when they were speaking English. It's fascinating. So that means that when we are using language, regardless of what it is, maybe optimal or less optimal phrasing, we are actually creating an environment for that person to thrive or not. Yeah, it's interesting. And, you know, part of what we're doing with 15.5 is a bit of rebranding for HR. And we're saying, look, HR has traditionally been this thing that's about, you know, protecting against liability and trying to not get the company sued while you twist the screws and suck the bone marrow out of your people to turn <laughs> it into, you know, because you're their human resources. And just even calling, your, the human beings in your organization, human resources, comes with a certain connotation that I'm disposable, I'm going to be used up um, and kind of discarded when I'm no longer useful. You need to start thinking of your people as potential to be unlocked. So yeah. Instead of thinking about performance management, think about best self-management. Exactly. So how can you use languaging to actually become the keys in which you are unlocking these levels of performance? I mean, you know, one of the, the, the things that happen so often in meetings is being interrupted or being dismissed or actually being to some degree ridiculed or humiliated about one's ideas or contributions. This over time 
secretes cortisol in our bodies. That person is going to eventually shut down, disengage, not show up, not share ideas. And when this starts to happen over a period of, of time, the company, which I don't think people just really understand this enough, is actually leaving money on the table. Actual productivity dollars, actual creativity dollars are being left on the table every single day in every single meeting. And I think we need to change the way we do meetings completely and how we behave in the meetings that we require our employees to attend. So what's an easy way to hack your meetings? What are small changes? Because you know we want to we want to be able to provide people small changes that they can start to make that over time kind of compound. How how would you advise our listener to change their meeting? I think one of the biggest things that I advocate for is in the moment of conflict, in the moment of tension, rather than argue with the person and bring you know have a truckload of data back up and then dump that onto the table. Actually surface the unmet need. This is something I talk about all the time. When someone is triggered, they are responding to a need that in the moment is not being met. What do I mean by this? So a few years ago, I was invited to come in and talk to a CEO and um, the direct reports of the executive uh, that I was coaching. This person was um, a head of people and uh, she wanted me to talk a little bit about trust. And so I came in and I'm sitting in the conference room and the CEO at some point in time turns toward me and says, hey, and he asked me a question about trust. And I got really excited. So I jumped up and I walked over to the whiteboard and I started kind of drawing out and writing and defining and answering his question. And as my back is toward all of them, because I'm writing on the whiteboard, I hear her yell out, wow, your handwriting is really shitty. And so in that moment of tension, in that moment of angst, in that moment of conflict, how can I show up to diffuse that, actually surface the unmet need, and then re-engage with the entire group in a positive manner? What did I do? I turned around. I actually non-verbally extended my hand toward her like I'm, you know, um, offering something. So it was creating that verbal, uh, that non-verbal visual bridge to her. And then I said, what's going on with you? What's going on right now? And she said, wow, I'm feeling really frustrated. Aha. So now we have a data point. She's frustrated. That's a feeling, right? And then she told me why she was frustrated. And then I responded with, ah, so you have a need for clarity. And she's like, exactly. Your time is important. I can't read what's on the board. I'm really frustrated right now because of that. I want to make sure that everyone gets what they need because you're here. And then we changed the subject and we started talking about something else. I can't remember what it was. And later she told me that people uh, in the room thought we had actually staged that because it went so seamlessly well right? It didn't. It wasn't staged at all. That's the key of unlocking what's going on. Is that going to make her closer to me? It absolutely has. We've kept in contact. We, we continue to chat on different topics. And it really has created a bridge for belonging. When people become masterful in being able to surface unmet needs in a conversation during a moment of conflict, that can be life-altering in the relationship for the organization and absolutely for the impact. 
If you like what you're hearing and you want to help us spread this message, the best thing that you can do is write a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to the 15.5 Best Self-Management Podcast. And if you take a screenshot of that review and email it to podcast at 15.5.com, we'll reply with a code where you can get a free 15.5 t-shirt. They're very comfortable. I wear mine all the time. Want to give a shout out to KKF2 who wrote us a great review on iTunes. And they said, I'm hooked. A great way to gain exposure to a fresh perspective that is truly riveting. I was on the search for ideas about improving performance management when I stumbled across an article on best self-management. After reading that article, I was hooked. I then discovered these podcasts and have been listening to them over and over again. The conversations are stimulating, authentic, and inspiring. Loving every bit. KKF2, I am inspired and loving every bit of this review. Thank you so very much. And ProDog, great name, says, This podcast has helped change my way of thinking. As a user of the actual 15.5 product, it's interesting to see the concepts and functionality of it relate directly to what they are talking about. 10 out of 10 recommend. Thanks, ProDog. Does there need to be a certain prerequisite of a certain amount of psychological safety where before you can start asking for your needs to be met, where before you can start revealing what's actually underneath the frustration or the micromanaging? I think that's a fantastic question because I already had established a relationship with her, right? So I could ask that question. Though I asked it in a room that uh, I didn't know anyone except her and maybe one or two other people. Um, that, that's a question that I, I'm going to say both yes and no to. I think that it's helpful to have had that established rapport but it's also important to be the model. It's also important to show that it can be done successfully um, and that it's a new way of engaging. And that's where I think it's so important to have agreements, right? Part of how we have meetings need to be based on the guardrails and guidelines that we establish moving forward. How do we want to have these meetings? How do we want to talk to each other? Do we want to actually step into allyship when we notice that someone isn't being called on or interrupted constantly? And I think these are agreements that we make as an organization, as a team, those 1% shifts over time are going to significantly increase not only the productivity and creativity of the organization, but ultimately the well-being of each employee. Yeah, it's so interesting because when we talked about best self-management, we say that, you know, 70% of it is a mindset shift. It's setting a different context for your work, your management, your leadership to operate within. And, you know, so in part of, you know, what I'm hearing from you is that setting a context where it's okay to have unmet needs and it's okay to get curious about what's actually going on for people instead of just always uh, operating at the surface level. Yep, absolutely. And to have these, you know, <laughs> there, when I was coaching another team here in San Francisco uh, many, many years ago, there, there was a moment when there was a head of engineering and, and head of marketing that, were, that weren't getting along so well, if you will. And at one moment, I just said to the head of engineering, why don't you just go and apologize? Go walk around the block grab a cup of coffee and just apologize and ask what, what, what was going on for this person. And uh, I kid you not, the following week, this head of engineering 
literally ran into the conference room, shut the door, sat down in a, in a huge wind of breath and said, you won't believe it. It went really well. <laughs> and th this is, <laughs> it sounds so simple, but these tiny, tiny movements toward connection, toward relationship, toward care, make such an impact on our nervous system. In the moments that we notice that we are cared for, that we are welcomed, our entire nervous system calms down. Our entire well-being starts to move towards engagement and trust and safety. And we start to want to do and show up differently and be part of and collaborate more and communicate with. And these, these are all very, very important, important skills and tenants to have as we move toward the future of work. So 15.5, we've built a technology platform that automates a lot of the best practices of management to build world-class workplaces. But we know that technology is not enough by itself. There needs to be education and awareness. That is largely why we've started this podcast, so we can talk about the philosophy driving the company, driving the product. We're really excited to announce that we are releasing another platform that is really going to help with that process. We're introducing the 15.5 Best Self Academy. So if you love these topics and you want to go through a process of actually learning some of these, putting them into action, giving opportunities for your leaders, your managers, your employees to learn the fundamental practices of best self-management, you can go online to the 15.5 Best Self Academy Sign up for the various courses there. We have some free content. We have some more in-depth paid content. And we hope this will support you in your journey in creating a best self world-class workplace. So please go online to the 15.5 Best Self Academy. That's at 15.5.com slash academy. I noticed that when I have awareness that everyone is bringing seven generations of trauma alongside the seven generations of joy and life, with them, that it actually instantly has me feel more compassionate. That it's like, oh, right, you know, we're all doing the best we can. We all have, a, we're all these echoes of our ancestors and of a, a rather bloody, traumatic past that humanity is coming from. And that in that awareness, it, it really does awaken more compassion in me of saying, oh, yeah, right. These people, even though I think he's just being an asshole, there's so much more that we're so much more multifaceted and dynamic than just the titles that we come to the table with. That brings up for me, I, I, I was running this class of teams for uh, you know, all of this year now, 2019. And, you know, I'm, I'm such a, a geek and I love the science piece and I do all this research all the time. And I love, you know, presenting the research and then you know, tying it back to, to, you know, real life experience in the workplace. And so one day, you know, just for the heck of it, I, I think I I asked a, a group that I was training, a, a bunch of salespeople in, in New York, <laughs> and we started talking at the end, and, and I said, so what was the best part of the day? You know, really expecting some science-y section that I shared, and everyone unanimously said, oh, it was the time when we went around the table sharing about our parents and grandparents. 
those stories made an impact. I didn't realize that there was so much commonality in this room. I didn't realize that people had been through the same thing as me or um, grandparents. I didn't realize that people are from the same place as I am. And that, that level of being able to share stories that really binds us together, that connects us, that builds that rapport and that keeps the generations alive is so critical. Imagine if we started to incorporate that in our day-to-day ways of engaging at the workplace. It's really cool because we've done that at 15.5 and we're, you know, we're doing it and, and we have the results that show this shit works. You know, what we do every Friday, we have this tradition called Question Friday where we all get on a 30-minute Zoom call and you know, we're all over the globe and so we all hop on the Zoom call and there's a question master of the month and they ask a question designed to elicit personal storytelling, to share the things that make us human. And it was interesting this morning uh, on Friday, you know, we're recording this on a Friday. And today, the question master just said, you know what, I'm going to break tradition a little bit and you can talk about whatever you want to talk about. You've got 60 seconds to just share whatever is top of mind or what's most alive for you right now in your life. And it was so cool because people took it in tons of different directions. One person did a PSA about uh, rabies bites, you know, and you're like, where did this come from? But then other people are sharing the struggles of the holiday season and the anxiety around gift giving. And that was, that was mine. You know, it's like I'm gift giving is like at the bottom of my love language and it's at the top for my wife. And it's just like, oh God. And she's a December birthday as well. And so it's this double whammy. And I create, I create all this emotional pressure for it. And, uh, but yeah, it's that shared humanity. And it really makes all the difference because all of a sudden you, you're in this, this empathetic field of listening. And you see the humanity, you see the complexity of the people. All of a sudden, the internal world has an opportunity to be shared externally and people feel seen and valued. And it's always been one of my top goals with our culture is how do we have people feel seen and and see each other? Robin Zander from the from Responsive Conference does uh, something uh, similar. I hired him for a few months to to kind of talk about some social media stuff. And uh, every meeting that we had with him and his team, he would always start the meeting with, "What's a highlight of your week that you'd like to share?" And I love that. That became my favorite part of the whole meeting. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. It's also really great to do like one word check-ins at the beginning of meetings, just of like, what's your internal state? And just, just that moment of knowing that it's okay to have an internal state that I actually, that's acknowledged that we have these internal feeling universes inside of us and not pretend that we're not just the external have to always be on and that it's okay to have an inner world and to start bridging the gap between our our feelings and our external reality. And I think you bring such a good point um, forward because when we are actually able to name our experience, to name our feeling, to name that internal state, something very interesting and magical happens. Um, The prefrontal cortex gains uh, clarity 
about our internal state. We are, we are um, advocating and verbalizing it. And in that moment that we are advocating and verbalizing whatever we are experiencing, that prefrontal cortex then communicates to the amygdala that we are actually safer because we've named it. And we start to notice that we calm down a little bit. There is uh, a little tool that I offer all my clients, um, which is um, specially, specifically designed to create that sense of calm in the moment. It needs to be repeated a few times um, to kind of start to move away from a triggered state and to step into a, a more calmed or relaxed state. And the, the sentence is this. It's even though I'm feeling, and then the next word is some triggered feeling, frustrated, impatient, angry, sad, whatever, um, which is generating, you know, a form of either adrenaline or cortisol. So even though I'm feeling frustrated, for example, I'm grateful that, and then whatever that is. It could be something really simple. It could be, I'm grateful that I get a paycheck from 15.5, or I'm grateful that I get to go home at five o'clock, or I'm grateful that I'm seeing my friend uh, at, for coffee at four o'clock, whatever, whatever it is. So, and then when we go into that secondary um, sentence structure, and we preface it with, I'm grateful, that actually starts to now shift the cortisol into more uh, oxytocin or opioids, so a feel-better state. So even though I'm feeling something, I'm grateful for something. And repeatedly, that starts to create greater relationship in the right hemisphere and allow us to notice our internal state and begin to shift our mindset based on that. Yeah, it's so amazing that all of our feeling states have a neurobiological corollary to them. Yeah. That, you know, you can't necessarily collapse them to each other, but they correlate to each other. And it, it almost makes me wish that we could do a kind of a Gallup survey of the workforce. But instead of engagement questions, it was actually, we were able to actually measure the neurochemistry of the workforce so that we could see, oh, it's not 70% disengaged. It's actually 70% are in freeze, fight, or flight, are in a survival state. You know, and we could start to understand the data at that level. And I think it would actually have us start shifting how we think about how do we start shifting those numbers? How do we get more people into a positive brain state that's out of survival and into actual oh right the is it the it's the sympathetic nervous system right where you actually are, are feel safe and relaxed oh, and parasympathetic is where you feel parasympathetic yeah i always always screw those two up the gallup poll says disengaged and actively disengaged what what does that even mean right like and i love that you brought that up and i agree my goodness if we could start to understand and see the the, the differences of fight flight or freeze and i talk about this a lot Lot. Like we have to step people back out of freeze or flight, back up to engage. We, we, you know, you and I have these conversations all the time. That would then just even bring more compassion, right? Because then we can even correlate that back to the trauma, the ancestral trauma, and then the unmet need. And as you know, I know that you have seen my presentations many, many times. That all of the needs actually are associated to particular neurochemicals, like autonomy, for example, or purpose is associated with dopamine, being seen or being heard associated with serotonin, uh, connection and trust is associated to 
oxytocin. So I mean, I could go on for, for you know, and, and share all of them. But when we start to speak, again, coming back to this, when we start to speak differently to ourselves and to others, we are in fact uh, a walking pharmacy. And these words actually trigger these neurochemicals. And so we can shift our neurochemistry so beautifully. And the greatest perk is to be able to have that language that can create a sense of belonging, which produces the chemical cocktail where we actually relax and we actually experience the sense of belonging. Yeah. You know, that's the the frontier, I think, of culture design is to leverage these things and this understanding that we have a profound impact on people inside of our organizations for good or for bad. You know, that it's not neutral. We're either really increasing that level of, of serotonin and oxytocin or we're decreasing it. I often say during my presentations, I say, you know, you are either in the process of dismantling or building trust in every conversation. And I love that because it's real time. You know, I, I often think of culture as a real time phenomenon. It's not something that, oh, cool, we built a culture and then it's a static thing and it's just a building we come in and out of every day. Culture is created and recreated in every single moment. In every single moment. I, I just spent a month in Spain. I came back a few weeks ago and I stayed at a hotel for three weeks. There was a, a class I was taking that was for 11 days. So I was in this one location for an entire three weeks. And at first, this was very discombobulating. Every single time I took the elevator from the fifth floor down to the lobby or back up, someone would get into the elevator with me. They would say, hola. And at first I like looked at them like, are you talking to me? And by the third or fourth day, everyone was saying, I, everyone said hola. And then I would just say hola. And then they'd say, buenos dias. And they'd say, buenos dias. And they would leave the elevator and they would say adios. And this was mind blowing, right? Because I don't have this experience here in Silicon Valley. This is not something I experience. And I know I've tried to start conversations in elevators going from three floors down. And <laughs> it's always a little awkward. But just the simple hola, like it was just so warm and welcoming in those 15 seconds. And, you know, what is it that you can do right now going into your next meeting, going into your next project or, you know, product idea, ideation moment with your team, what is it that you can do to start creating that connection? What tiny thing to build rapport, to create that level of warmth, trust, connection, what is it that you can do for you? Okay, so I could imagine somebody listening to this and thinking, that sounds good. And it also, okay, so soft skills, I need to learn my soft skills. Why is this essential for business? Why is this essential for building high-performing organizations? So um, I'm just going <laughs> to take a step back here and say these are, these are not soft skills. <laughs> these are hard skills. Primary skills. Yeah, even hard. Yeah, right. Like actually not the easiest thing to come up across. It, right. And, you know, we are always looking for data. We are always looking for that hard science. I don't know how much harder you can get with a secretion of a neurochemical by uttering a sentence structure. Like, I honestly don't know how much more you need other than that. Not to mention magic. I mean, how, how crazy that our words are spells that have, that produce an entire chemical transformation in the recipient 
that hears it. Absolutely. This is why you, know, you and I have talked about this. That's why sound is so essential. I mean, we are 80%, what is it, 80% water that we are? 76? I don't even know what it is, right? We know that there's a there's this word called cymatics, right? Which is, um, you know, using sound to move uh, matter, whether it's water or sand, grains, or whatever it is. And these amazing shapes can be created from the sound, right? Every sound frequency actually creates it's a geometrical pattern in the matter that it's moving through. If you go in, on YouTube and you just look up cymatics, um, I think it's, is it a C-Y-M? I think it's C-Y-M. Yes. Yeah, cymatics. It, there's incredible videos where you know they play you know certain notes and frequencies through these metal sheets with sand on them, and you see these incredible geometric patterns form. Absolutely. This is why when we listen to music, whatever it is, it creates a feeling within us, whether it's a sad, sappy song or it's a really happy, you know, lo love song or whatever it is. And so, if we take that to the next level. Your words are nothing more than frequencies as well. And becoming masterful in being able to use that language structure in order to create the cultural experience that you would like for your employees, that's where it is. Let's connect the dots a little bit around how this can make a more profitable, high-performing company. So there's a book called uh, The Five Languages of Appreciation by Gary Chapman. And in his book, uh, he talks about how the studies that he's done has shown that when employees are appreciated, and there's a difference between recognition and appreciation, so let's be clear, but when they are appreciated, appreciation is acknowledging the person's uh, well-being and their essence as a human being, and recognition is acknowledging their behavior, their accomplishments. When an employee is appreciated, engagement and performance goes up 80%. Period. Paul Zak, a neuroeconomist, he wrote a, an article called The Neuroscience of Trust in the Harvard Business Review. He also ran some experiments uh, around trust. And when there were teams and companies that had high trust running within the organization, productivity went up 76%. So are those correlated? Absolutely. Yeah, it's such a, a mind-blowing data set that shows these things don't just have a small impact on the productivity and effectiveness of our of our companies. They have a disproportionate impact and they're essentially free. You don't need fancy tools. You don't need $100,000 consultants to come in. I mean, you can do all of those things. I mean, you know, high fives in our platform is one of the most effective features because all of a sudden it gives people permission to appreciate each other and you, it prompts people. And so, you know, that's part of the magic that we see with just that little slice of our platform is that it's asking people and giving them permission to express their appreciation that they're already feeling. It's just that it's withheld. And there absolutely there are individuals who are not comfortable receiving appreciation and also giving appreciation. And so for those organizations, those leaders with, you know, some people on their team, maybe, um, I really invite you to explore that one-on-one -on -one with them, what's going on for them, right? Because that's an opportunity for even greater connection. Um, and that's going to be attributed to their own past, you know, experiences and, and what, what traumas or um, tragedies they may have experienced personally, or that might be titrating for them. 
I don't want to get too much into the details here about that, but I think at the end of the day, every single person here has a nervous system, and every single person secretes neurochemicals based on languaging. And we have an opportunity to not only shift the culture within organizations, but to change the world. Yeah, it's amazing because I think for so long, business has said, hey, we want to be efficient, so we're going to strip the human being down to its essential components of productivity and measured output. And what we did with that, and I think that's partly has been informed by the models that we've built business on top of, you know, the military, the industrial revolution, where we started thinking of human beings and businesses as machines. And so we stripped out the heart, we stripped out the nervous system, and we said, cool, well, we want the body and we want the mind. And that's what's important. And emotions, what a what a messy, complicated, you know, liability those things are. Let's throw them out. And what's so exciting is that bringing them back into the equation because they never left the equation. They just got suppressed and battered and crushed and ignored, which produced a lot of unmet need. And you know, it's almost like we have we have a lot of back taxes to pay in business. And I love that absolutely, and that is because exactly what you just said is how we got where we are with organizations. Yeah, you look at the engagement numbers, you look at the overall stats, and it's like, okay, yeah, we could be doing a lot better. And you know, we're probably doing better than we were twenty years ago, and a hundred years ago, and five hundred years ago, and yet, you know, what's possible in the next decade? You know. As we switch into 2020s, you know, how much progress, how much more of the basic human needs inside of our organizations could we be meeting in the next decade? What's it going to take exactly? And what's it going to take for us to switch from fear to joy in terms of engaging, right? How, how do we do that as leaders? How do we actually go to our team, not in panic, not in fear, not in stress, not in despair? And how do we actually go to our team and stand in a place of vulnerability, transparency, uh, collaboration, welcoming of solutions in certain situations that are very stressful? How do we how do we shift out of that fear that is driving our behavior to bully, micromanage, taunt, torment, dismiss, and humiliate? And how do we step into a greater way of corralling and motivating and inspiring? Yeah, what a different world that would be. It's kind of ironic because I think part of how we shift out of those those states, those kind of shadow states of fear and bullying, and is actually allowing them, is making space that it's okay to be scared at work. It's okay to be terrified of your boss. It's okay to be uh, to be worried that you're inadequate and that you aren't good enough or smart enough to do this job. And you actually just create a little bit of space to embrace that those aspects, and all of a sudden they're transformed. Okay, Raj, so this is all so fascinating and it feels like a a thousand different rabbit holes that probably go a thousand miles deep, each one of them. Where can people go to learn more about you, your work, and the research that you're doing? 
So I have a website called irestart.com. They're welcome to come to that. Um, also, if you just Google my name, Rajkumari Niyogi, a ton of videos come up, and uh, there's a book on Amazon that you can read, and um, some documentation that you can get off the website. So quite a, quite a few venues. There's so much more we could talk about, but we're out of time for today. Perhaps we could do another another session and uh, go deeper into some of the other tools and tricks about how people can really start to incorporate this knowledge and this awareness into their organization so that they can create their culture as an engine for personal transformation. Um, any Any closing words? Go forth and be kind. <laughs> It's a lifelong lesson. What an amazing thing to aspire to. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me, Shane. A big thank you to our producer, Counterweight Creative, and our executive producer, David Misney, and Stacey Hurst, our guest coordinator. Please visit 155.com slash podcast. That's the number 15 and the word five. For more information on today's discussion, for additional resources and special offers. One of the easiest and highest leverage things you can do to support us in this podcast is write a review on Apple iTunes or Google Play. It really does go a long way in terms of getting the word out and more people can hear this message so that we can start a movement and truly get more and more businesses out there helping their people become their best selves. To get all the latest episodes, please subscribe to Best Self Management on iTunes or Google Play. And if you have a question or comment you'd like us to address in a future show, please email us at podcast at 15.5.com. And finally, thank you for listening to this podcast. Until next time, know that we support you in being and becoming your best self.